Hey everybody, I'm Micah Rich, founder of the League of Movable Type, and this is the Weekly Typographic, a podcast where we discuss our favorite type and design news from the week. Oh my goodness. Welcome back. Welcome back, everybody. I believe we're calling this season four, I think, of the Weekly Typographic, which is funny because the first season was like two years the second season i don't even know how long but um here we are we are finally back we have been doing a lot of fun stuff at the league that we will surely be talking about over the next few weeks and there have been a few big changes that are really fun and we're gonna have a lot of fun with this summer so we're calling this the summer season and our wonderful dear friend olivia who we all know and love has been just killing it at her job in New York. And so she has stepped back to work on professional stuff. And that has opened up a new avenue for my dear friend, Thomas Jockin, to come in and join us for the summer and be my co-host for the next couple months. Say hi, Thomas, and I'll give a fun little intro. Hi, everybody. It's fun to be here. I've been a big fan of the league and Micah and Olivia for a long time. And I think it's super fun to jump in to be with everybody here for the weekly typographic. I think it's a fun program, and I hope you have just as much fun listening with me here as you did before. Indeed. I think we are going to have fun. So Thomas, I'm sure you've heard his name plenty of times on the podcast before. I name drop him a lot because he's exceedingly talented and even outside of type stuff, one of one of my best pals. Um, but he's a type designer. He's worked on Google Fonts, Coca-Cola, Starbucks Express, as he says, all the corporate shit and a bunch of his own fonts, which are wonderful, too. He's taught a bunch with us. He actually graduated at the first type at Cooper program back in 2011, which I didn't know was the first one. So I'm impressed by that. And also founder of Type Thursday which is in 10 billion cities across the globe, last I counted. I used to go to the one in New York and met a lot of really awesome people, but you guys have Type Thursdays all over now, right? Yeah, recent chapters in Tbilisi, Georgia, oh, Milan, Italy, too. Those are the two most recent chapters. Oh, actually, very excitingly, we have a chapter opening up in Atlanta, and we have London coming back, thank God. So we have lots, Ooh, of, lots of good friends of type all over the world coming together. Oh, that's great. Um, So we're going to be keeping the podcast pretty light and fun. We have been keeping up with our newsletter. So the newsletter has been going on this entire time. And if you remember, you've still been getting the great extra font finds that we do every week. You can check that out on our site if you want. But we are going to be talking about the fun and interesting design and typography links that we have, as is classic weekly demographic tradition. We've got five awesome, interesting, fairly in-depth articles this week. Yeah, they were a lot of fun. Again, the key is easy breezy, summer season. Gotta have fun, gotta hydrate. It's very important. (laughs) So fun summer times. And these are fun articles. So I want to jump in. Let's have some conversation about these five articles. Yeah, okay. So our first one I'm immediately nostalgic for, which is the Gushers and Fruit Roll-Ups rebranding, bringing the 90s back, which if you've ever heard me being an old man on this podcast before, I'm not a fan of the 90s coming back in design styles in general, but I do think that these rebrands are pretty good. They're interesting. I agree. A lot of fun things about it. And by the way, I was at a picnic yesterday and people are, and actually someone brought 
gushers with them, actually. So this is rather opportune that this article came out. It's very fun. Really? Yes. I don't know. I didn't look closely. I didn't notice if it was a, if it was the redesign or not. It just serendipitous. I know. This is crazy. That's fair. That's fair. So this to me seems like a classic like rebrand of taking something that was like really illustrative and trying to make it a little bit more minimal. But unlike I think a lot of big rebrands in the last 10 years where they do that, they're trying to keep a lot of the fun heart that was in it in the first place, which I appreciate. You got to give it a soul. It has a soul behind it. It's nice. Yeah. I'm reminded also a little bit of the Burger King rebrand where they did this retro callback, but they pulled enough, I think a lot of kind of secondary notes to keep the brand fresh and alive. For example, like in Gushers, the whole time, they built out a whole typeface within this kind of, I call it the Goopy Sands aesthetic, where basically everything's rounded and Goopy Sands. Yeah, Goopy Sands. Precursored by one of my favorite typefaces, Gooper Black by Very Cool Studio. Kyle, shout outs, great designer. Yeah, very much that kind of very rounded, organic structuring of a sans serif, but it kind of gives a lot of energy and vitality, much more than the straight laced. They do have some versions of it if you go to like their secondary website, Pearlfish, and look at executions of billboards and whatnot. But the general energy of the Gushers one uses this rounded sans serif with this kind of almost reverse stress approach, the way the main emphasis is pushed towards the external, like kind of horizontal elements of the strokes. I think it's very, I think it's super fun. I think it's very energetic and very light and very lively. I really enjoyed it. That is an interesting, subtle detail where every time reverse stress fonts come up, I'm who is using that and why? And this is an instance where you're right. It's sitting right there and I didn't even notice it. And it works perfectly. Like it, it adds a lot of energy to it that I wouldn't have guessed. And so much so that I didn't even notice at first. Here you go. Yeah. No, good work on this team. This team did a great job. Also, it was really interesting. If you read the newsletter that's provided in the link, you find out that what was interesting, they did all three brands at the same time, and they were thinking very clearly in demographic organization. So they had a, a fruit roll-up with middle schoolers, fruit by the foot for high schools, and then gushers for what they call late teen and air quotes. Now, I don't know. That's interesting. Kind of, I don't know how you feel about that, Micah, in terms of that reading of the design directions and, and the kind of audience targeting they're talking about. But that is an interesting point. I have never done that kind of like deep study on those particular demographics, but it's an interesting thought that those, to me, very similar demographics could lead to such different results. Yeah. Yeah. Because the fruit by the foot, it's got this... Very much like the, I think we, again, it's not on the article. If you look at Pearlfish's website where they have more examples of their kind of secondary typeface, especially, they have this kind of thing with this really stretched out horizontal stretch type, a la the Spotify typeface, stretch type effect, horizontal stretching effect. It's a fun approach. Yeah. It's what's interesting there too, is if, as I'm looking at their actual site where they're talking about it, I feel like this is standard now, but it comes with some motion design too, which plays into even the typography, like for the gushers animating the like sploosh on for the fruit by the foot animating, not just into the logo, but like animating in the style of fruit by the foot. And it's, yeah, it's some interesting, weird stretching that they're using to their benefit. Oh yeah. The motion explorations in these projects, all of them are, I think really well done. I have to say, I think it's, I absolutely agree. I think definitely motion is a part of the brand vocabulary 
is very much the case here. I think we see this is a really great use case of how motion can reinforce all the typographic and illustrative and color decisions we saw, we were seeing in the still visuals. Which I don't, I assume you appreciate a little bit too, because I know you've had to work on a couple motion projects lately. And like the motion part adds a lot to it, but it is a lot. It's hard. Yes, it's a, it's, <laughs> yeah, I've been teaching motion graphic classes and I have to say, yeah, it's definitely a learn, it's definitely an on-ramping. You have to figure it out. But if you do it, I think it works really well. There's also some interesting, looks like 3D modeling work too. So like in the Gushers one, that kind of, if you look at the megaphone, the gushing coming out of it, that's definitely a 3D modeling mm. object too. So we were seeing even these intersections of like 3D modeling work with graphic design and motion all coming together. Yeah, ideal. All right. I feel like we're going to talk about Gushers for forever and I'm just going to get more and more hungry. I, one last note, I will comment for the fruit roll-up where it's like the, all the handwriting going on. I'm almost, I'm sad they did not put the high school S. You know what I'm talking about? Oh, yeah, where you like draw a bunch of dots and lines and connect to them. Yes. I really wish that was <laughs> included in this. I really, yeah, I yeah. feel like that was a missed opportunity if they were going to go full high school, middle, like junior high, middle school vibes. I feel like that's a missed opportunity. I wouldn't be surprised if that was something that somebody thought of in the creative process and somebody was like, that doesn't work. We got to get rid of that. Boo. I would have been awesome. That would have been awesome. Even if it's just an, maybe it would have been like an Easter egg. You just put it, just sneak it in there. Just sneak in the side. No one sees, make it small so no one sees it. Yeah, that would have been funny. So the next we have is the origins of typography and the role it plays in design. But this is from the UX design bootcamp blog, which I'm a fan. They often write important things. And so it's like a classic typography course where they like, dive into the origins of typography and show old scribes and old illuminated manuscripts uh, and talk about Gutenberg. And then they get into the generic categorizations of like, here's a serif font, here's the sans serif font. And it's a lot of information. And I feel like in general, it's one of those things that is, here's a 10 second textbook on typography of what you would learn in type 101 if you only had a minute to read. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think that's a, I think that is a very good summary, Micah, of this article. I would say probably my only feedback wish for it was that probably for that audience of the U, people in the UX space trying to learn more about type is probably that last section where it goes over the four roles of typography. I think examples or demonstrations of those would have been really useful. It's almost like a separate article, honestly, because I think that's the next question. It's like you learn this history and this terminology and framework, now we need to know how to apply it to the applications. It would have been great to see some visuals for that. But it's a great, I agree, it's a great kind of type 101. Yeah, I do feel like that is where a lot of type 101 classes bomb too. Like a lot of the intro education that I have seen on typography is just, here's a bunch of information and here's how we've always done it. And now you know it. And you're like, okay, okay. Cool. What do I do with it? I know. That's a, that's a big problem. It's a huge issue because it's almost like to even comprehend what, like you have to almost dump this information on people so that you can then continue the conversation. So they go, all right, now we went over this. What can you do with it? I find that generally is a big, it's a big issue in education with type, especially because the kind of detail or like the kind of attention to detail required yeah. to even 
see the cool that's going on here with the type in these different applications. That's the issue is to get people to even see the distinctions or to see the kind of precision of what of what's going on there. It's so hard. It takes so much onboarding. So it's almost like a very complicated onboarding process to use UX language yeah. before we can even get to what do you do with the user interface, the app you downloaded. That is a good way to think about it, which is tough. I know that's a thing like in your own teaching, you have tried to find alternative methods to get people actually doing stuff and trying things out. And so I'm, I don't mean to be knocking this article at all. I think it is a good introduction for that standard way of talking about it. But I think you bring up a great point of, man, I wish there was more, more examples and more practical related stuff that I can do something here. Yeah. It's, it's a, even in my own teaching, it's still a challenge because at best, especially for a type one context, you still, at best, you're just, you're trying to, I use example or So what happens is students are put in groups and they're asked to reproduce in different aspect ratio, historical poster, for example, or source. And in that conversion of making a reproduction, they tend to find they're missing the mark and they have a way. And then the job is to help them understand typography to get them closer to reproduction to that master source of some kind. But still, that's all, that's still my, that's like my stop gap. And I fully know that's not even the best as possible because of how much complexity there is in type. Because also the other side of the problem is, like I think us talking about this, here's why I definitely know it doesn't work in type education, giving us, giving people a list of to-dos and not to-dos. Because of almost any of those, you can, I can easily list an a counterexample. Yeah. So that was, that's, the rules are great to kind of, I guess if you're just like, if I'm never taking another type class again, and you're just doing one, maybe you're going to give them the rule set, and then they just move on with their lives and call it a day. But if you really care about type and want to know it really well, any kind of rule set like that, I don't know. I find that's the other, that usually tends to be the other way to go, is you get a bunch of rules given to, as you said, Mike, of like, this is what we always do. So this is, we've always done it this way. So here's a bunch of rules of how to do it. It makes it disengaged. This becomes like a formula which is not really what typography is, way more of an art than that. Which I also think as a student, whether you're literally a student in a college or just learning it, like you then see that formula. And I think there's either, there's either two ways that you can react to that for the most part. One is, okay, I will follow the rules forever. And that is how I will become the best possible at those rules, which then you lose the opportunity of learning new things from experimenting. Or you're like, why do I freaking need these rules? I don't want these rules. And you miss some of the beneficial things that people have learned before you, right? Yes. Yes, very much. That's either you're going to basically, yeah, as you say, if you break, if you ignore the rules, then there's a lot of efficiencies. You just made your, you just made your life a lot harder than necessary and for less, less good work. <laughs> Knowing some good aspects, you know how to use grids or ratios, right. like instantly transforms your work. I've seen it time and time again with student projects. You apply a ratio or measurements and follow that rule system, your work gets snaps in so much better. Or the other way, if you're just like a, if you're just a dictated by rules, like an authoritarian regime, then there's you just get reproductions. That's why you ever see those joke <laughs> like memes of ten thousand websites all look the same because everybody's following the, everybody's following the same rules. So it's just, there's nothing interesting or unique about any project. Exactly. Such a good point. I'm glad this is coming up too, because one of the things that 
I am trying to work on for the league this summer is really promoting more education. That's been the goal for a really long time. And you have a lifetime of educational experience as a design teacher. And this turned into an unexpectedly useful critique for me to be hearing this. Yeah, it's good. It's part of the fun. This is the fun part of the weekly typographic. We get to have riff-offs from these articles. That's great. So go read the article. It is very insightful. Right. I highly recommend it. Micah, should we move on to the next article? Okay, so next up, we have something from Type Network, which we love them. They do great stuff. And it's an interview with Cyrus Highsmith, who is somebody that was not super familiar with, but you have heard of Cyrus's work before. Yeah, Cyrus is fantastic. He has a fantastic little book called Inside Paragraphs. I highly recommend it. If you want to know about typesetting, much at that kind of scale of type and like literally inside paragraphs, as, as the title of the book says, it's a fantastic resource. And I just love his style, his approach of typography and type design. I think is really unique and I really enjoy it. So yeah, I think he's a fantastic type designer. So it was really, it's really refreshing to actually read this article or the really this, this interview by Lucas, I forgot his last name, but I just saw it by other, mem other members of Type Network. I think that was really a really fun article to read. It seems like this is a pretty in-depth and pretty technical, nerdy interview. They get into some pretty serious stuff, right? Oh, yes. This is, that's why I'm saying this, inter this, di this dialogue is actually really interesting because it goes over like type design methodology with some get off my, get those kids off my yard kind of energy going on a little bit, but it's fun. I enjoyed it. I appreciate that too. And it's interesting. There's some talk of cracking open the font files, how they went from this to that and like how they approached very specific things and even showing kind of this diagram of, they're talking about variable fonts and this, what looks like a, a, an open source tool that they link to, which I appreciate on visualizing the details of variable fonts. And it's one of those things that I think if you aren't a type designer, you look at that and you're, this is what type designers do, right? Like it seems wild. The degree of precision and care is relevant. It's yes, that is the story of type design. This is what I meant, by the way, that section of the article right around that time is where I meant by the kids off, get, get those kids off my yard energy a little bit. I only say that because it's discussing one of the properties of variable fonts. And the main diff idea was that before variable fonts became relevant or really the design of in, using what's called interpolation, the idea was that fonts existed as these discrete entities that you just made. And then you had to make it in your head, the relationship between a regular and a bold, for example. Like there was no interpolation per se when you, drew, when you were drawing type for linotype machines, for example, if you were in that context, for example. What I'm getting at here is instead of having this kind of, you had to think through rationally in your mind as a designer, this jump from regular to bold to let alone any the more complicated systems. Interpolation allows you to just map out two extremes and then the computer just generates everything in between. And the made it, they made a note about how in the generations of type designers nowadays, interpolative type design is like the norm. I do it now. I basically, I draw my extremes and then I just interpolate the middle <laughs> and we'll just see how this behaves. And then of course you might make right. some adjustments. And then, by the way, that open source tool is going over one of the problems that ends up happening is that if you have a continuous transition 
sometimes they make a note about like a dollar sign, for example. If you have that bar in the middle of a dollar sign, especially if it's two bars, if it gets too heavy, usually it's too bulky to fill in. So you have to swap out to one bar instead of two, for example, or have it not go through the middle of the S for a dollar sign. And what that open source tool they're linking to is a visual guide for is where do you make a discrete jump to switch from a two bar addition of the dollar sign to the one bar. Or in this case, I think in that example is an O slash, if you see in the visual. So those are, if you're a super type nerd, this is like brace layer, brace layers in your glyph pal, in your in your glyph file to know when to do a split between one, basically going into incremental steps from one style to the next. No, by the way, besides the super nerd stuff I just said <laughs> before then, I actually think this is a very sweet article because <laughs> you find out that Dispatch, which is one of the two fonts in discussion here, is the very first commercial font, one of them, like the most, the most commercial serious font that, that Cyrus worked on. It was the original context from the dialogue, from the interview you find out is that this was, he was working as an assistant for Tobias Fair Jones and David Burlow. At, I believe Font Bureau, and he they were on a client project with a newspaper, and they turned to Cyrus and went, "Here, go make a slap surf for a pitch." And Cyrus says he made some display fonts, and he did, he was a production assistant for the other designers, type designers, but he never made a series font family himself with like a robust text face kind of energy or project. And this was his first attempt at it. Now the client didn't go for it, so it just sat there in the background. But then he's commenting about why are they making the second edition of Dispatch is because that was probably 20 years ago. And he has now different insights and, and better context and perspective now that he's more mature. But that kind of like homecoming of a original, if like his first baby, his, his first little font family came out. For, uh, like the, <laughs> like the, sto- the font star, stalk, the po- brought a little font baby for him. <laughs> and, he's here to re- and it's reminiscing about it. I think that's sweet. To, to hear about like this like font history being told in this interview. And it's good insight into the world of a type designer too, because every type designer I've ever met is, oh yeah, I was working on this thing back in college or when I first started or whatever. And, or similarly, oh, I made this for a pitch and they didn't want it, or I made it for a client and they didn't want it. And so I worked on it more 10 years later and turned it into a typeface that you can buy now. And that's such a staple of the type designers that I have ever met. Type design is like low cooking gumbo. <laughs> you know, you just you just got to set it in the set it in the pot. You give it about a decade, <laughs> and you still have a font cooked up, real real nice and tender. <laughs> no, it actually also that reminds me of I remember seeing some travel documentary or something. There's like a restaurant in I don't know Thailand or Vietnam or somewhere where like. The same pot of soup has been cooking for 30 years and they just keep re-adding ingredients to it every day. And so it's one of those things where you got to let it ruminate over time and then revisit it again. And I'm sure any type designer is going to revisit that kind of thing like five times over 10 years or something and be like, maybe now, ah, no, it's not working yet. Give it another three years. Yeah, especially in the interview, you also find out Basically, a lot of times that Dispatch and Stainless, they had the relationship of one had slab serifs, one removes it, but then some adjustments in distribution and spacing and contrast because of that. But they were also not thought together as a system. And that's what part of the second release is all about is so that you can work with them together. 
there's like a weight, there's like weight, like what font weights are available were different, the kind of distribution of the weight. So like the light in one was not the same as the other, for example, they've been harmonized over in the second edition. So this is a good example where I've done that too in projects where you're, these families were meant to be not necessarily always like they had the same origin, but they weren't planned out to be. And you may go back looking back at it later and go, I could, we can probably harmonize this by pushing this, like making this thin and this thin weight the same. So that way you can, users, some font users can swap out one font for the other and the design holds up and harmonizes because it doesn't ha tend to happen a lot. Anyone using fonts should know if you switch fonts, your, all your settings might switch over because the fit of the font on the body might be completely different, let alone things like the vertical metrics, for example. Right. Good point. Good point. So our next one is counterforms, which is seemingly a project. It's hard to tell if it's a project or like a foundry. They don't, I don't see them specifically describing it in one way. Or other. perhaps a collective. It's a, it's a, oh yeah. Perhaps collective. The collaboration at least. And so they, I'll just, the about is very short. So I'll read some of it from that, but it's a, they describe it as a platform that champions emerging discursive anti-podian type designers. Driven by typographic research, education, and advocacy, we publish original typefaces and text towards a more accessible, diverse, and equitable future. I think I actually saw Klim Type tweeting about this, and this is how I found this. But they're trying to make typography and bring awareness through typography to different stolen lands of sovereign people. What they're talking about in the site, I am uneducated about. Yeah, I think the implication is this is for Australia, this is an Australian collective or group. So I think it's in that context for what they meant by colonized land, for example. I think it relates to the native peoples of Australia, which, yeah, which I have to admit my also my ignorance in the point too. But I do appreciate that effort and that energy to that sort of thing. And yeah, totally agree I mean, with that. Obviously, it's easy to be drawn in by, there's a handful of beautiful typefaces here, right? Yes, there's some fun ones. Yeah, I think I especially really like Way's interpretation of a monospace times. Very fun. It's got a real strong energy vibe to it. I really like that. And they actually, in one article, are talking about revivals, which I don't even know that I would necessarily call it an article. It seems like a, I don't know, a journal or something, because it's every paragraph is like, all right, it's this year, it's that year. And it's interesting just to hear some, to me, seemingly rambling thoughts of just open, what do you, how do you call that when you just write whatever you're thinking? Stream of consciousness. Yes, that's it. Stream of consciousness on reviving typefaces from long ago, including Spartan, which you know I'm a fan of, so. Quite. Shout out to League Spartan. I also think, like, the actual visual design here is fascinatingly different. We were, like, we were just talking about that, right? Like, everybody using the same kind of structure to everything. And at least the homepage here is this funky little kind of collage where, for no reason that I can tell, you can turn the grid on and off. And there's a clock made of letters and it's weird and interesting. And they just link to the different texts that they have and typefaces that they've made. Yeah, it's, ple it's pleasantly surprising. I would agree with that. I think that clock is very fun because if you notice the, I think the second hand is going backwards. I think that's super fun, by the way. It's a funny little detail. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know. It's an interesting one to check out. And surely one of these will be useful and interesting. I also find it interesting that they use purchasing power parity which if you've never heard of, basically charge different prices depending on the economics 
of where you live and adjust the price depending on where you live, which I respect a lot. Very cool. By the way, on a small side note, I have to admit, Antipedian, I did not know what that was. I looked it up. It means Australia. <laughs> How I know that. So I learned something new today. Oh, yeah. I guess I didn't know that either. It means Australia because we are in North America. No, literally straight up. If you Google that term, you right? get relates to Australia. Oh, I guess I got a different definition where the description is diametrically opposite points on the Earth's surface. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, I got it as an adjective and a noun. So relating to Australia and New Zealand or a person from Australia or New Zealand. Fascinating. Either way, it seems to track. So anyway, check out Counterforms. It's interesting. Our last link for the day, we have a good old classic from It's Nice That, which Thomas, I think you were pretty excited about this one, more so than me. I was because it just felt like a revival. Talk about this revivalism, the 90s, 2000s. We got ourselves the Cranbrook aesthetics and emigre smashed up from the 90s and early 2000s brought together again. Basically, if you like the cult of ugly, all of the Stephen Heller article or a discussion essay from emigre, you got it right here in full supply. Oh, that makes me feel good because that's how I describe it. I do remember in college playing with emigre fonts. I wasn't familiar with Cranbrook. You had to teach me about that one. But it is like that aesthetic of fucking shit up. Like, let's do the opposite of the normal and just make stuff that doesn't follow the rules. Like rebellion to rebel, from my perspective. Yeah. And there's some fun moves here. So they got some interesting moves. For example, the one section where it says the first kind of second spread where if we're defeatist from the off, we get nothing. It's almost like they have this tracked in. It's I've seen fonts that do this. Like they have this super, like almost this like dot gain effect, bleed out. Like they just added strokes and bled out these fonts. And it just like almost destroys the font. Mm. It's very fun. Rebellious Which is a classic, like years. in art school, they're like, don't add strokes around a font, right? Because they're like, that, that messes up the font. So that's a rule. Do never add strokes around the font. And here they are playing with that as an experimentation. In making the design. This is this is a lot of, you can't tell me what to do, Dad. There's a lot of that vibe going on right now. Yeah. Which, okay, so we didn't really clarify, but this is like a magazine issue, right, for a magazine called Flaneur, which I am unfamiliar with. Forgive that mangling as well. And Studio Yukiko basically took over and said, hey, we're going to design this issue. And so that was like a collaboration for this magazine. Yes, this is basically my, if one of my typography students came with me with it, this would be a living nightmare. <laughs> I'd be like, oh no. But obviously in the hands of more experienced designers. I, I can't know, imagine, I can't imagine grading a thing like this. I don't know where to begin. That's the thing. It's the kind of thing like, oh, you clearly are just fucking around to, like, to see what you're going to mess with. You're messing around just to mess around. I get it. That's fun. <laughs> so you have to treat under that rubric. Of understanding. Yeah, they, I will say they do some really interesting approaches of like color and type. I think that's interesting. They're very focused on monochromatics, if you notice. There's a lot of one color kind of treatments on a lot of the spreads, which I do think enforce like forces of kind of emphasis mm. of contrast, which I think is interesting just from a visual perspective, which is interesting because they give, they give like that really early zine energy, a 1980s punk zine energy. A little bit, almost like they're off a, oh That's God, true. like a photocopy machine, basically. One of those things. But it's not true for all the spreads. Some of them are I mean, so I, I, Yeah, they they certainly on their portfolio site, if you Google Studio Yukiko, you will see a lot of them have that sort of monochromatic 
photocopied aesthetic. Like I've seen multiple projects just scrolling through their site that are like that. So they're obviously practiced to that. But a lot of what they do is also just like absolute insane color combinations and cutouts and crazy like mangling of images and stuff like that. And it's real wild. The theme of this edition is the 90 strike back. That's basically what's happened here. (laughs) Which I just, I can't handle it. I can't handle it. I remember not loving it in college either. Oh, now I'm too old. I know we're old now. That's what's happened. What is it? Either you die young, you live old and you live long enough to get stuck with a revival that you don't want to, you don't want to sit through. Right. Oh, Oh, I saw this awful TikTok the other day. If they were remaking Back to the Future and Marty McFly was going back in time right now. He would go back to the year 1993. And I was like, uh, oh, God. Brutal. That's brutal. Awful. All right, Micah. I think we've done All enough right. job In any enough case. today showing how old we are together. But this has been a lot of fun. I really enjoyed reading these articles <laughs> with you and riffing off. And I hope you, the audience, enjoyed this too. Agreed. Agreed. We'd love to hear what you think. And as always, if you have cool articles that you have found or tutorials or fonts that you want to share, you can email us or tweet us. And we always love suggestions for cool articles. Our newsletter runs every week, so we will be back next week. And our whole plan is to do this all summer long. That's right. Hey, come join us next week. Micah, shall we close out with with the do-do-do-do's? Oh, the classic. All right, ready? One, two, three. Do-do-do-do. Do-do-do-do. <laughs> <laughs>